Welcome, everyone, to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Virginia. So today I am so stoked because we have a friend of ours out from Colorado. He's taking time away from his family, but he's still doing school (laughs) while he's here uh, to be with my fiance for his bachelor weekend. So it's been fantastic to have him here. But Daniel, you have been doing so much study into theology. I mean, you have like 18 years worth in ministry and you've done a lot of leadership in church culture as well. So this is definitely where your heart is at. But we're so happy to have you here and have this conversation between Virginia and you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I didn't know we were going to be having this conversation just a few hours ago. So I know <laughs> that's yeah. how we roll around here. That's yeah. great. We make our plans and God directs our steps. There right? you go. It wouldn't yeah. have it any other way. Exactly. Daniel, I am so thankful that you were able to literally come to the villa with just a few hours notice. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. This is a fun surprise. <laughs> I, I thought I was just going to be hanging out with my buddy for a bachelor weekend and getting married in about a month. And I thought, oh, man, this will be this will be just a fun weekend. And today at lunch, got a phone call. We're like, hey, do you mind coming down and doing this? And I had no idea. Just super excited. Thankful Thank to be you here. so much. Yes. That's how we roll here. That's what we roll here. That's, <laughs> That's great. So uh, something I, I noticed when when we first arrived, you know, sometimes I get nervous. I'm not sure what to expect if I'm going to have a conversation with someone I don't know and kind of size up what what to expect based on my surroundings, my environment. And I was looking at all of the books on the shelf. I noticed a few different authors that re- immediately put me at ease. I saw guys like Dallas Willard, right? I saw, you know, before his downfall, Ravi Zacharias, who still has brilliant things to say and contribute, but, you know, his own social commentary is its own thing. I saw Kierkegaard on your, on your wall. So I thought that was absolutely wonderful that you have these authors that are just so in my view, prolific. And they've shaped the world that we live in in profound ways. And, you know, it's just nice to know that there are people who actually honor and, and value these insights. There's so much we can tell about each other by the books that we read. Mm. One of the things that I find chilling that I've observed in this generation is that they don't read books like we read books. Yeah. Yes. And I read a quote years ago and it said, a room without books is like a body without a soul. Ouch. And I detect a vacuum in people's capacity to reason and even their ability to connect with some very basic, reasonable ideas of rest. But they infuse so much life. And Natalie, we witness this in every day of rest. Mm -hmm. They infuse so much life in them and they soak up the principles of rest like a dry sponge. Right, Natalie? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, drinking out of a fire hose, but they always walk away. And you always mention this. They walk away with even just a seed of an idea. It's transformational. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Every single time. And the number one secret to the success that we experience in really communicating these principles to people to facilitate healing, the number one comment that we get is really restoring the foundations of reason that have Mm -hmm. eroded. So I'm really interested in you commenting on that. But then I want everyone to have context for who you are. I want to know your whole story. Oh, man, that's I don't know if that's a good or bad story, to be honest. Um, you know, but I, comment on what I just said for a second, because I know you're reading something. 
Yeah. And you're waiting for me to finish. So comment on what I just said, but then I want everyone to have context for who you are and your background and how you started. Yeah. You, you said thing? something that was just like, oh, it's perfect. So you, you talked a lot about being rational or being reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a book written uh, by Alistair McIntyre, After Virtue, written, oh, I want to say 1970s, might even be older than that, might be just really bad at remembering. And it's funny, I, I, I honestly don't know if in his writing, the title After Virtue, if he means after in the context of post-virtue, meaning a post-virtuous society, or after as in pursuit of virtue. But what he talks about is the lack of ability for people to rationalize their moral framework. Most moral arguments today are emotive arguments. Yeah. And so they aren't based on anything that would be universally true or demonstrably true. They're based on fleeting emotions. Mm -hmm. And something I find really fascinating about that is, you know, you'll, you'll see it in churches even. Or you'll see it in common culture, someone on TV, a celebrity trying to give their words of wisdom. And I, again, not trying to, to bash anybody or say anything to mischaracterize those people or their intent. But sometimes the phrase will come out, follow your heart. Yeah. And I always wince a little bit when I, and I cringe a little bit when I hear that. Because in my mind, I'm operating with the biblical worldview that says, uh, above all else, your heart's deceitful. And that's why we're supposed to guard our heart Correct. because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the mouth speaks. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a fine transaction and it requires rationale and it does require mm-hmm. thinking. Yes. And, you know, I find this absolutely fascinating. If you go and you read through Paul on your desk here, you have Paul's biography by N.T. Wright. Absolutely love it. Super amazing. Thankful. Yeah. Paul is overwhelmingly discussing a cognitive change that needs to occur. He's connecting the dots between a worldview and. And the associated behavior. And so what he's talking about then is, hey, the way you think is so steeped in an inaccurate worldview, that needs to change. And as that changes, you'll experience this thing called discipleship or maturity. And really what that is, is just other language for learning how to be an image bearer of God. Mm. What's your own story? How did you get to this place? Because many people are listening and I can almost feel what they're thinking right now. I've been a Christian most of my life. And frankly, it doesn't work for me. I don't see the power. I don't see Uh, the authority. I don't see the relevance of a Christian Mm. worldview. Yeah, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And it was Dr. Charles Craft from Fuller Seminary had a huge impact on my life, taught at UCLA for many years and then ended up at Fuller. But he's a giant in my life, and he was Mm. instrumental in shaping my view of man. And one of the things that struck me is that salvation, being fully, completely free and Mm. living in complete peace, because you come in alignment with the understanding of the creative design of things, and deliverance are two different things. Yes. And when you think about salvation being a function of the soul, the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience, but our bodies really bear a lot of debris and residue, not just from our life experiences, but that of our ancestors that are passed on generationally. Mm -hmm. And the conflict between those two conversations, right? That is the pilgrimage that we have in time. What's going to have dominion? 
our bodies, our flesh, our impulses that drive us or the things that compel us in our soul. And I want to make that distinction because our listening audience is somewhat familiar, I think, with this language. That is the struggle that Paul talks about. Yeah. I don't do the things I want to and the mm-hmm. things I don't want to, yep. I do. Since you brought Paul up, I oh, thought I'd yeah. talk I mean, to him. I know. Wow. And no, that's great. And that's a it. struggle between the spirit and the flesh. But that's a function of the mind. And Correct. the mind is the heart, the will, the conscience, the right. feelings. The, the Greek psyche, right? That's yeah. right, the psyche. Mm-hmm. But emotions, mm-hmm. emotions are a function of the central nervous system. Right. And it's our activity. So we can't confuse feelings with emotions. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. Some years ago, I was doing ministry with middle school and high school students who, for I think most of your audience will be able to acknowledge, they tend to be emotional. I remember being a middle schooler and high schooler myself. And so something that I remember reading was this discussion about the distinction between thoughts and feelings and how Mm -hmm. we often conflate them. Yes. Or we mistake one for the other. Yeah. They're not interchangeable. Correct. Yeah. And so I I use this analogy sometimes. I'll ask people, have you ever felt betrayed? Mm. And what do you think the typical response would be? Yeah. 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 And then I'll ask again, have you ever felt betrayed? Well, yeah. Are you sure? Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Betrayal isn't a feeling that you can have a sensation for. What you were feeling is anger, despair, frustration. I mean, people would say yes. I was just saying Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, yeah, I'm not correcting you. I'm just saying they're conflating the emotions they felt with the reality of the scenario or the relational dynamic they found themselves in. And so what's happened is there was a break of trust. And Mm -hmm. either that is or isn't occurring or has occurred. So somebody violated the trust or broke the relationship in some way. Then what the emotions that are going on there are sadness, frustration, anxiety, fear. Those are the emotions. But they skip right over identifying those and go straight to, I feel betrayed. Well, yeah, they get them confused Correct. because the sad, uh-huh. the fearful, those are feelings Correct. that emote. Correct. So we kind of so say the, them the other way around. Right. So the, the thought is betrayal. Yeah. But the feelings are all of those things That's we just right. mentioned. And sometimes we skip over the thought and go straight into the emotion. And this distinction is very important, the distinction between feelings and emotions, because ideas have consequences. Correct. Especially when they manifest in the world, right? In yeah. world history. So tell me how you got to where you... Well, oh, so I grew up in a, I would say, a home that was agnostic at best. What nationality? I was born in Calcutta, India, so probably one of the poorest places in the world. And so this is where I... I believe in Providence. I went from Calcutta, India, the one place in the world where cholera still exists, a disease that's been eradicated for 200 years everywhere else, but still exists there. And I came to Orange County, California. I got here on Christmas Eve of uh, 1985 and uh, was adopted, lived in a home that was... So you you came as an orphan? uh, Yeah, adopted at birth. I don't know anything about my birth family. My friends and I used to always joke that I'm probably royalty back there. <laughs> I was like, yeah. you're royalty here too. Yeah, I'm in the in the you know kingdom of grand God. kingdom yeah. of God. I'm I'm considered someone of high status, right? That's, That's right. a very very dignifying thing. Humanity is yeah, God's, being yeah. human. Yeah, being, being the human image of God. is an yeah. elevated status. It is. You know, yeah. being being a human imager according to the biblical imagination, it's both dignifying but also it's a high responsibility. Yeah. yeah it's, it's it's a vocation that's irrevocable. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? So everybody listening, you Poetic. have an irrevocable 
Vocation. Vocation. Vocation yeah, in time. Stats. Now, here's the funny thing. I about love that. that. I, I want that to be the quote. Everyone has the job, but the question is, how good are you at the job? Ooh, you I like well? that. We you always say everybody's a philosopher, yeah, right? You, you have a view of, of what's true or oh, not, yeah, and you have a view of God. The question is, is yeah. it sound? Is it reasonable? And have you really thought about those well, things? I also think it's fascinating that does your view of God sync up with his view of you? Mm. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. Okay, so you came from Calcutta. Came from Calcutta. As an orphan. How old yeah. were you? Three months old. Three months I old. I don't remember anything. Yeah, sorry, I'm not as astute as some others. I can't remember from Actually, three Actually, you don't have recall for anything. You remember everything. Correct, yes. It's recall. Better terminology there, more precise. But yeah, I've lived here since, or I lived in Orange County for the first 33, 34 years of my life. Grew up here kind of as a skateboarding punk, just kind of doing my own thing. Had some troubled childhood family mess stuff, you know, every family's got their issues and kind of just felt not very valuable to anyone, right? Like I was just, I was here. I didn't feel valued or valuable. Mm. And so in the midst of all that, I kind of just was aimless. You know, I had, you know, all sorts of typical issues that high school kids have, right? You know, value, identity, identity, all of those. Yeah. And I was I was in a significant relationship in my senior year of high school that ended very poorly, and it, it pushed me down a road where I was deeply suicidal. And mm-hmm. I was in my twenties when uh, a good friend of mine invited me to his church and kind of got me going down that route. And I thought it was absolutely ironic because you know I had studied some philosophy in high school. I fancied myself you know a good intellectual. I was an idiot, but <laughs> you know when you're in high school, you know everything. We all yep. are. Yep. Right. Yeah. So I remember he and I would get in debates all the time, but I just happened to be more eloquent than he was. And so it appeared as if I was winning the argument. He was saying what was true. I just was better at presenting. Mm. And so I humiliated him left and right, even though he was my friend. You know, we'd have these discussions, you know, in front of other classmates or friends. And I just was not very kind to him, but he was deeply and unreasonably kind to me. Mm. And so I, I, I thank him for that. Andrew, if you ever listen to this, thank you. You know who you are. <laughs> but yeah, he invited me to his church. I got to to go there is down in Rancho Santa Margarita and stayed there for, you know, about a decade, a little bit more. That was my home church for a long time. And while I was there, I just got to meet some really awesome people who. So he led you me. to faith. Absolutely. And it was his character and oh, integrity. His character and integrity, his, his perseverance, despite ridicule from the very person he's trying to engage Wow. It's unstoppable. Love is unstoppable. Absolutely. It is the most powerful. That's another powerful form of apologetics is love. Mm-hmm. I don't know another world religion that advances the cause of love oh, no, and death to self that yields immeasurable fruit. Like well, Because no other worldview can give you the intrinsic value of a human being. Yeah. So right. like a lot of people today, especially in different social commentaries, they'll talk a lot about egalitarianism or, you know, the equalness amongst all humans. And that doesn't exist. You don't have any other theological framework for that. The fingerprint bears witness that that is completely false. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. The fingerprint anatomy bears witness. Yeah. We have a whole teaching module on that. Yeah. So you began to really step into Mm -hmm. reasoning through some... Some rough stuff, identity, value, self-worth. In the midst of this, you know, my, like I said, my own family dynamic was just kind of a mess. And I just remember wanting my life to take a different trajectory. And God said, well, how about instead of killing yourself, we give your life meaning and purpose. And I, and I launch you like an arrow and just send you out and go do some stuff. That quiet, still voice. Yeah. 
And, what a great story. Yeah. And, you know, from there, it just kind of surrounded myself with different people that were good intellectual people who had a good sound faith. They, and they didn't just know wonderful things. They were able to demonstrate it. And so they lived it. that meant a lot to me. Introduced to Dallas Willard probably around that time. That was 2006, maybe. I was introduced mm-hmm. to a lot of Dallas Willard. So he has a special place in my heart. And I think in the long run, academically, I want to continue his style of work, making theology practical. Well, I'll tell you, just from the confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in your formative years, mm-hmm. and the impact it really had on you for the rest of your life, we know there's a lot of science behind the fact that the psychology of the parents becomes the biology of the children. Yeah. So even beyond the family who raised you and brought mm-hmm. you to America is the reality of your ancestors, which right. you don't know anything about, but know, somehow think, you yeah. carry some of those stories. That's so fascinating. But mm-hmm. I think what's exciting about your life is that it's the beauty in the ashes we always talk about is life. Yeah. The beauty in the ashes is life and truth and light and life mm-hmm. and liberty and the desire for liberty and yeah. to live free. It cannot be suppressed by anything or anybody. Yeah. And I just, I just love to hear how, I don't know, you valued reason, you valued thinking, you mm-hmm. valued not just accepting the status quo. And it had a yeah. huge consequence on who you became and where you ended up. Yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating. There's a lot of keywords you're using in the midst of this dialogue here. And, you know, each one of these keywords is just, it's hyperlinking to different ideas and thoughts and all these other branching conversation topics. And each one of them is just so, I, I consider them providentially used. And so one of the words that you, you brought up there was life. Pretty innocuous word for most of us, but... I've, my friend jokes with me, but that I've been writing my dissertation about a decade before I got to my PhD program. <laughs> and I, I discuss eventually, hopefully publishing a book. The idea is that the church has been emphasizing the wrong L word mm-hmm. and not necessarily in a bad way, but the church, I think, overstates the word love so much so that it means nothing in our current cultural climate. Yeah. And, you know, you, you hear about love all the time, but you don't see it as much as you ought to, maybe, or it doesn't manifest the way it ought to. We talk about light sometimes, mostly at a candlelight service during Christmas time. But life, life is the mission statement of God. You know, you see this in these declarative statements of Jesus. He says, you know, in John 10, right? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. In John three sixteen, right? And you go on and continue to read seventeen eighteen. It talks about how, you know, those who believe in him who have become loyal to him. That's the Greek term pisteo, which we translate faith, means loyalty. Those who become loyal to him will have life. So God is absolutely concerned with life, both in terms of quality and quantity. He's not content that you just have an emotional experience. Yeah, confusion, chaos, and dis-ease can Mm -hmm. be displaced through reason if we have the strength and courage to take these painful parts of our life and put them in the context of these ancient teachings. And I know we're going to continue this conversation in the next segment a little bit, so it'll just be kind of fun. And this has been a spontaneous meeting. Hopefully it triggers a thought or two that can be transformative in the life of our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal. Thank you so much, Daniel. Oh, man, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. 
All right, everyone. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week.